Hi, I'm Yia Vang. I'm a chef in Minneapolis. And one thing people don't know about me is I love chain restaurants, especially Olive Garden and Red Lobster, cheesy biscuits all the way. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that turns to highly skilled chefs and dedicated home cooks with a big question in mind. What is their one? The singular recipe that can capture the feeling of a hearty dinner surrounded by friends and filled with laughter. This week, we're celebrating the bounties of the great outdoors with Yia Vang. He's the chef and owner of two restaurants in Minneapolis, Union Mung Kitchen and Vinay. He's the host of the Munglish podcast and the host of the new TV show, Feral, on the Outdoor Channel. But when he's not tromping through the forest or catching snakes barehanded, that is literal, by the way, that did actually happen, he's reminding us that enjoying who's at the table with us is just as important as what's on our plates. Oh, here he comes. You're going to love him. Hi, yeah. How are you? Doing well. Hey, Jesse. Oh, it's so great to have you. So you have had kind of an awesome career. You you have launched restaurants that have always honored Hmong culture and culinary traditions, while also still making sure that they're very you, and that you give your team the opportunity to make their own contributions too. How have you kind of kept that balance of cooking what you want to make and what feels like yours, while also helping others and having them cook alongside you? Yeah, so the one thing we talk about Hmong food is Hmong food isn't a type of food. It's a philosophy of food. It's a way of thinking about food. I think a lot of people, when they think of Hmong food, they always think that, oh, it has to be a certain ingredient, has to be a certain, you know, utensil or tool that you're using. But it's not. If Historically, if you look at our people, we've traveled all the way from like where southern China is right now, all the way down to Southeast Asia, Thailand, Laos, northern Thailand, northern, you know, northern Laos, you know, and northern Vietnam. And every time our people have, you know, rubbed shoulders with other cultures and other traditions, they kind of, you know, took a little bit of that and, and forged it into their own. And so for me to say, oh, like, am I Hmong enough? Like, what is Hmong? Being Hmong means one group, one generation has to give a little bit of themselves. They sacrifice a little of themselves so the next generation can thrive and move on. And I've always been a firm believer of you cook from who you are. Yeah. You know, so I can't change the fact that, you know, one of our cooks, his mom's from Chicago and his dad's Chinese. Like, you you can't change that. So he, like, I mean, he loves his, you know, Chicago beef, but then he's also part Chinese too. Yeah. Like, one thing I love about what we've created here with our team is you can be who you are. We've taken and extracted the ethos of the Hmong culture and we've, you know, laid it out into our kitchens. And I really love the fact that you are also kind of taking each member of the team and saying, you know what, bring in your own spin. Like, let's talk about it. Let's figure out how to how to make it all work together instead of just saying, no, this has to be my way or or the highway. No, no, the menu chefing here. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Great movie, Jesse. Great movie. Just 10 out of 10. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so can you tell me a little bit more about what your kind of dream eating experiences like you know you you've talked about how you want everyone to be able to feel like they have their own stories and can see them reflected in food how has it been trying to have all of these people kind of dine at one table and have all these influences floating around too 
It's been really great. You know, one of the things we've really learned, you know, especially starting with Hmong food is it's an educational process. Because if you go to a restaurant and says, hey, you know, this is an Italian place, there's no subtext that you need. People know, yeah. like, what is an Italian place or what's expected? Oh, this is a brew pub. What's expected? People know. But when you go to a place where you say this is indigenous food or this is Hmong food, it's a little slower to make the connections. And so as the people who are making this food, we have this ability to tell the story a little more. So when people come and eat with us, they always go, hey, like, I just want to order something for me. And I'm like, well, that's not how it works. Yeah. You're going to order something. It's going to be an element of the dinner. It's not we're not going to plate like the rice there and the proteins there and then the vegetable there. You know, like we're not going to do that in one where you're going to order separately and then you're going to build your own because that's how mom and dad had us eat at the table together. So would you say who's eating with you is just as important as what you're actually eating? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that food is a universal language that we can use to speak to each other. And then I don't care who you are, you know, or where you've been or what your tax bracket is or who you voted for or whatever. When we sit at the table, that table actually makes us all equal. I love that so much. So I do have to ask just a quick aside. Who is like your dream dinner party rotation? Who is the dream dinner party guest list? You know, it's really interesting. I've been asked this a few times and, and I do, I, I do mean this like with the most humility possible is that like, I don't really have like this whole like, Oh, here are these like celebrities or famous people or, you know, historically yeah. famous people I want to eat with. I want to eat with my friends. Yes. One of the greatest moments I had in college was this, you know, we were really, we're all super poor in college, you know, college. Like, so I could go to the grocery store with 50 bucks and make enough food for about 15 to 20 people. And then we would have all these guys come over and eat, you know, from the dorms or whatever. And one of our, one of our roommates at our house, he was on the track team, you know, and there was this kid named, uh, uh, T. T was from, uh, he's from Chicago. So inner city, you know, black kid, mm -hmm. just shredded, you know, like 0% body fat, <laughs> like all American sprinter, you know, it's incredible, right? So yeah. T come, come over and all these other different people. And then we had Tony, right? Tony is like super hipster, has glasses, couldn't catch a ball to save his life. You know, he, Tony's like, he, he's more of a reader, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but we were sitting yes. at this table, right? All of us. And Tony and T were sitting by each other and they kind of just met, right? And we're mm -hmm. eating together and we're laughing and we're joking. And the way that those two were just like joking back and forth and just laughing with each other. So you got this white kid from the suburbs. You got this kid from inner city Chicago. And they're both just sitting together eating grilled chicken with sweet baby raised barbecue, mashed potatoes, and hunks of leftover bread and laughing together. In that moment, if you saw that scene there, you would think, oh, those guys are lifelong friends. Those guys are oh, probably yeah. friends that grew up in high school together. And in that moment, I thought to myself, I'm like, this is it. This is what the table is about. Oh, that's awesome. So we have the dinner party guests. Your friends are all there. What are you cooking for them? What is your one recipe? My one dish would be whole roasted fish wrapped in banana leaves. And the reason why I love cooking this dish is because it's so connected to my father, right? So a couple of ways. One, my dad, when we were growing up, he, you know, at this time he was a carpenter and he'd come home and he had sawdust all over himself and he was tired. He worked 10 hour shift. He'd get home and us kids, we love fishing, right? So we love going oh. to the lake to go fishing and we would all line up, sit at the, you know, right on the porch area, you know, on the deck and we have all our gear ready and we sit and wait and dad would get out. You know, he was tired, but he went in, changed his clothes and his fishing gear, you know, so he, he clocked out of work 
and he and he just clocked into being dad. And he'd take us fishing. And and fish just has this really, you know, like a whole fish, especially like lake fish, has this huge big part of our life. And my mom would also love cooking for my dad. And she would love taking a whole fish, you know, either deep frying it or grilling it, making her own little sauce that throw it on top. And and this is what dad would do after all of that. This is what dad would do. Yeah. He would go in and he would take all the flesh off the bone. Oh. And he would give us the meat. Oh, that's love. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't, yeah, he like, it, it doesn't stop. You yeah. know, it doesn't stop. It's not like, hey, kid, now it's time for me to get mine. It was always us, 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 no matter what happened. And he'd get to bed at 10, 1030, then go to bed and then wake up at five and start all over again. Okay, so you are taking this whole fish with the head on. How are you treating it? What are you, what are you doing to it? Most fishmonger, you can get it scaled. They'll, so they'll scale it for you so you don't have to mess with the scaling. And then you get some banana leaves. You can go to a lot of, you know, Asian, you know, markets or even Mexican markets will have banana leaves. You get them frozen, thaw them out, run them under some cold water, you know, wipe them down. And then you take your whole fish and what we do is we score it and then you, you salt it. And then inside, what we do is we use lemongrass, ginger, garlic, we slice it and we stuff it on the inside. And then, you know, banana leaves are nature's tinfoil. That's what I tell people. And then you lay it in the banana leaf and then you wrap it up, you know, real tight in the banana leaf. And you can either throw it on the grill, which, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes you do. Or if, you know, like here in Minnesota, sometimes when there's 24 inches of snow outside, you get that oven going hot, you know, like 400, 425, and then you put it in the oven and it roasts in there and that moisture from the banana leaves. But also you have th- that lemongrass, ginger and garlic on the inside where it, when it cooks from the inside, it creates steam yeah. in there. So all that aromatic from the inside. So it's like a inside out kind of flavoring that you have with the fish. And it's a really gentle cooking method, too. Mm-hmm. So once you actually get your hands on the fish, can you talk a little bit more about scoring for Maybe a home cook who hasn't scored a fish before. How deep are you cutting? How how long are your cuts on the outside? So when you're scoring the fish, you know, I what I usually do is I lay the fish down and I kind of go every like, see, I always say two fingers, but like I have mm-hmm. like, you know, big barbarian fingers. <laughs> so two to three fingers, you know, you kind of do that. And every two fingers, you do a slice, you know, score with a knife. Now, you don't want to go all the way deep where you're cutting all the way across, but you're yeah. kind of going in, I would say like half an inch and you probably will get about four, maybe five scores on there. And so the other trick, the other trick I do too, is like when I season the fish with salt, I kind of take the fish and I bend it a little bit. So when you score it, it has that opening. And then so the salt flakes fall into that opening. Yeah, that's perfect. Also, when you season it, make sure you season the inside of the, of the fish to the carcass, you know? So, so for home cooks, why do you score? Is there a specific reason? Mm-hmm. Yep. Two reasons. One, even yeah. cooking. You know, mm-hmm. you want that even cooking. And uh, two, so like we said about the seasoning, so you can get that salt right into those little crevice area. So you have fully prepared this fish. It's ready to go right into the oven or onto the grill. How long are you cooking it for? And then how are you serving it? Yeah. So you want that oven pretty hot, right? Because, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, remember, the fish is being protected by the banana leaf, right? So you're rocking it at like, 400 to 425 you know and if you you know have like a like a rack like for example like if you're throwing it in the oven and you have like a cookie rack you know or like a resting rack you can put that on a sheet tray you don't want the um, banana leaf directly right on to the sheet tray because what happens is all the moisture starts pulling on the inside so mm-hmm. you, if you have a rack you can throw it right on the rack and so you know you throw it in there and you're probably you're probably there at like 
25 to 30 minutes. If your fish is a little bigger, a little thicker, then you're going to go a little longer. But the thing is, again, like why I always push people to say, start with a bronzini. Two reasons why you do bronzini. Bronzini, I just, I tell this to dudes, like my single buddies. I'm like, you want to impress a girl, you do a whole fish and you do a bronzini. Bronzini only has one bone in the middle. She doesn't know that. But like when you're done <laughs> cooking and you know, you, you like, you pull that flesh right off the bone, she's going to be like, Oh my gosh, like you're so amazing. Anyways, um, so, so bronzinis are like the easiest fish because they have one bone right down the middle. That's it. Secondly, bronzini is a little fattier, a little oilier. So it's a little bit more forgiving. So if you go a little longer on, on the roasting, you, you got like a good, like five to 10 minute flex on there, you know, where it's like, Oh man, I went a little over again. The banana leaf also keeps all the moisture in. So it's not going to dry out. You pull it out. Now, the the first thing people are going to do is they're going to want to open it right away. I say, don't open it right away. Just let it settle. Because when you open it right away, all that steam's going to release. Just let it settle because that residual heat will keep it cooking. And so while you set that aside, you work on the sauce. So you take all the aromatics, you, you, know, you chop it down, and then you get a hot pan with a little canola oil, and then you throw all your aromatics in there, right? And that's, that's the bulk of the sauce. And real quick, what, what aromatics are we using here? So lemongrass, ginger garlic, and then the scallion. The scallion comes in at the end, okay? So, you know, you don't throw in the scallion right when you throw in the lemongrass, ginger, and garlic. Now, lemongrass, ginger, and garlic are kind of the basic aromatics that a lot of Hmong family uses, you know? And so, again, you, you want to chop that so it's, like, real, you know, real small. You don't want big chunkies of that, especially lemongrass. Sometimes they can get stocky. So, if you have a food processor, you can just throw in the food processor. If you really want to work on your knife skill, work on your knife skill. And then you get that pan really hot throw the oil in, and then you throw the aromatics right in there. And then you quickly, you want to move the aromatics around. You don't want to keep it still because it's going to burn, right? You don't want any brown on this, so you're sweating it. So literally, it's like a 60 60 to 90 second cook with it, and then you turn off the heat. Because what you really want to do is you want to just extract all that flavor out that's going to hit into the oil. Then you add the scallion right at the end because you want the scallion to be so bright and green, and then you add the fish sauce and then you add the oyster sauce. And then by that time, what you'll do is you'll open up like kind of a little present type, you know, open up the fish. Everyone's going to be like, whoa. And you can do this table side <laughs> and charge an extra $5. You know, you bring it in, open up, and then you're going to take that sauce and you're going to just drizzle it right on the top. And make sure you have a bunch of slices of lime in there too. Because right oh, yeah. when you do that, squeeze your lime right on top because you want that citrus to cut through all that fattiness. And then for us, we just have purple sticky rice and you just get that purple sticky rice in there, you know, because it's all about the slopping, you know, you, you got to slop yeah. that in there. <laughs> yeah, this sounds so damn good. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing the fish recipe and for the dating tips, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a move. It's never worked for me, but it's a definitely move right there. <laughs> Yevang, dating coach, life coach, and cooking consultant, you know, doing it all just <laughs> yeah. in your spare time. One-stop shop. One-stop shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show. It's been so much fun talking with you. Jesse, thank you. I appreciate it so much. Super honored. Chef Yia Vang is the owner of Union Mung Kitchen and Vinay in Minneapolis. And he's the host of the show Feral on the Outdoor Channel. You can find his recipe for whole roasted fish on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. 
Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. <laughs>